Now, Tilly, a lady called Tilly, has always wanted to be pregnant. She's always wanted to have a child. And after waiting a few years, Tilly is finally pregnant. And in many ways, it's an ideal pregnancy. There are no physical complications or anything like that. The only problem is that as weeks pass, Tilly is not enjoying her pregnancy. She's not enjoying the feeling of the, the it's not enjoying the feeling of the baby kicking her in the womb. She never strokes her bump with loving thoughts. In fact, she as days and weeks pass, she is becoming increasingly detached from the life growing inside of her. And finally, the time for birth comes. Baby Fletcher is born. The midwife puts baby Fletcher onto Tilly's chest, but Tilly feels no emotion whatsoever towards the baby. In fact, as Tilly is lying there on, on the bed, she's not filled with the joy of new mums at all. There is no love or warmth coming from her. What she's feeling is pity. She's feeling overcome with terrible pity for herself. And so as more days and weeks pass, in fact, what happens is that Tilly starts feeling hatred for Fletcher. She starts feeling hatred that Fletcher needs her so much. In fact, in her words, she says this, I hated losing my independence and the fact that I no longer felt like me. I started to feel a huge amount of resentment towards Fletcher. And yet at the same time, Tilly is filled with guilt. She's heartbroken by that. She knows that mothers are meant to love their children. And Tilly feels helpless about it. She's failing to do this. And so she's heartbroken by it. Now stories like Tilly's, which are really stories about the depression that some mothers go through during pregnancy, it does happen. They're heartbreaking, very heartbreaking. Because life is not meant to be like that. We all recognize that. Till it recognize that. We know in our hearts that we are meant to love one another, especially members of our own family. When there is no love between members of the family, we know something has gone terribly wrong somewhere. Well, what is true of physical families is also true of spiritual families. Because what the Bible says, all true followers of Christ are now a new family of God. When we become born again, God connects us spiritually with each other. We, we are adopted into God's family. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We have experienced new birth. We've been regenerated. And with regeneration comes adoption into God's family. We are now a new family of God. And the Apostle Paul has been reminding us of this truth, isn't it? As we've been making our way through Colossians chapter 3, um, and particularly verse 9 to 11. Just cast your eyes over there. He says this in verse, 11, in verse 9 to 11. He says, which we just read, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you are put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, 
which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul is saying all followers of Christ are now a new humanity, a new human family. Before we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus, we were outside God's family. We were dead in sin. We were cut off from God. We were on the road to hell to suffer eternal wrath and judgment. But God intervened for us. God the Son, our Lord Jesus, came to save us from the punishment of God. But more than just saving us from the punishment of God, he came to give us new life with God. You know, if you've repented of your sin and you're trusting in Jesus this morning, Jesus Christ is your Savior. You have now been adopted into God's family. You belong to God. So let me ask you this question. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does that truth excite you? You come to church often, but do you have a relationship with God? Can you say, as you sit here this morning, I have received new life from God. I know, Chola, what you're talking about. I have experienced this. Can you say, God knows me and I know him. He is my father. Can you say what William Colgate could say in his 20s, that I have been born again of the spirit? Well, if the answer is no, then you are not yet a true Christian. But don't remain like that. Don't keep running to hell. Do not keep hating your soul so much that you want to go to hell. Your life is priceless. As Ray Comfort often says, you wouldn't sell your eye for a million dollars, would you? You wouldn't. Even a billion dollars, you wouldn't sell your eye. Well, Jesus said your soul is worth more than the eye. So why would you lead yourself on to hell? Young or old, why would you keep rebelling against God? Your life is priceless. God takes no pleasure in your suffering in hell. He wants you to repent. He wants you to trust in the death of Jesus for your sins. Not just coming to church, a true repentance. True change like the change William Colgate experienced. But God wants more than you simply avoiding hell. He wants you to have life with him. New life. A life of love with him. And so this morning, come to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Let the blood of Jesus wash you clean from your sin and give you this new life. A new life of love with God. And if you're already trusting in Jesus, then you already have this new life with God. You're part of this new family. This new humanity of God. And one of the things that sets us apart as this new family is that we are meant to love one another. Because as, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans, God has poured his love into our hearts. And because God has poured his love into our hearts, we are now meant to love one another. He has given us a new capacity to love. And he has poured his love into our hearts. And Paul makes this point in verse 12 to verse 13. That's the point he's making. He says this in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, 
holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul is saying to the Colossians and to all true followers of Christ here today, you are now part of the beloved family of God. You are chosen. You are holy. You are beloved. You belong to God's beloved family. And because this is who you are now, you must treat each other with compassion, with kindness, with meekness, with gentleness, with patience, and forgiveness. And of course, in verse 14, love. And so we've talked about all these other things I've just mentioned. Today I want to focus on love. I want to look at two truths which are in your outline about love in verse 14. What is verse 14 teaching us about love? First of all, just that truth I I hinted on. The first truth verse 14 is teaching us is this. All followers of Christ must grow in love for each other. We must grow in love for each other. The command in verse 14 is that we must grow in love. That's the key point. Look at verse 14. And above all these, put on love. Now, there is some debate among those who read the Bible regularly. (laughs) The theologians, we should all be reading our Bible regularly, but they they read it for a living, right? (laughs) And there's debate among them about what Paul means by this phrase, above all these. Does it mean love is greater than everything listed in verse 14? Just as we find it, for example, uh, that's, the Bible speaks of that in 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is what? Is love, right? Does it mean that? Or is it simply saying, do not forget this last thing called love? Love is just, it's just saying, look, I mentioned all this, but don't forget, love is also important. Just like Peter in his second letter, in his golden chain of virtues, in chapter 1, goes through all the virtues and then he hands on what? Love. Right? Is that what it means? Well, we don't know actually. It could be in both. It could be in one of the two. But actually, it doesn't matter. Right? We must not miss the wood for the trees, as the English phrase goes. Right? The main point Paul is making is that we must grow in love. That's the command. Above all this, put on love. The members of, now, this is important, the members of Grace Baptist Church, Colossae, we might say, right, already have love for each other. How do we know that? Because chapter 1 tells us that. You can glance over to chapter 1. We looked at it a long time ago, a year ago. And chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, do you know how it starts, isn't it? Paul says in verse 3 to 4, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Why? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus And what? Of the love that you have, not just for a few saints, but for all the saints. Do you see that? Paul there was saying, I've been thanking God for you guys. I haven't met you yet, but I've been thanking God for you because I know that your faith in Christ is true. How do I know that? I know that because you have love for other believers. Now, where has this love come from? Well, because God has given them a new heart. Before they lived in sin... They did not care or love each other as God commands. They were a bit like William Corgett, who I talked about before. But one day they heard the good news of Jesus. 
They were convicted in their hearts that they were sinners against God. So they repented of their sin. They put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them from hell. And God saved them. He forgave their sins and he gave them a new heart. They became part of God's family. And God filled them with love. A new love for God and the love for each other. And so they love each other. Right? That's a given. That's chapter one. You love each other. So what's Paul going on about in chapter three? Well, in chapter three he's saying, keep growing. You have love because you're believers by default. Now keep growing in this new love for each other. Don't let it get caught. Keep burning with love for one another. Above all this, put on love. Be active about it. Be energetic in loving one another. What does it mean by this word love? It sounds obvious to us, isn't it? When we hear the word love, we think we know what it means. But remember, different people mean different things when it comes to different words. If you went outside, you can try it before lunch, right? If you go outside and you ask people walking by the road, just ask them. You can do this on your own at lunchtime. Ask them, ask them what does the word grace mean? Just ask them that, right? Others would look up, right? On the sign, that's their grace. It's a church, right? You mean the church? So for them, grace would be a church, this building. Because they've seen it. Or they may know a friend called Grace. That's the name of a person. If they've been to church, they'll know Grace might be all. Christ, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense. And, or they may explain it in different ways. The point is, different words, even the words we think we know, mean different things to different people. And I think you agree with me, especially this word love. Don't even try to ask people what love is. I mean, you'll be shocked at what they tell you they think love is. In fact, they would say love is love. <laughs> right? Love is anything you want it to be. But what does love mean here in the Bible? Well, the original word is agape. Agape. Agape is unconditional and uninfluenced love that God has poured into the hearts of all true believers. It is love with no strings attached. All the love in the world has strings attached. Your wife has limits <laughs> to what she's willing to tolerate from you. And if you go those limits, she might kick you out. Right? Your children can only take so much. They, are loveful. they love you, but they have limits. There's some strings attached. All love in this world, by nature, has strings attached. People usually love us for something we do for them. For people, for them to love us, we have to be deserving of their love in some way. But the true love from God, he has poured into our hearts, is not like that. It is completely other-centered. The agape of God is not just sacrificial for people we care about. It's not just enduring love for those who have proved themselves to us. It is much more than that. Agape is love for those who don't deserve our love. It goes beyond those who deserve it. It is love that goes out of its way to show love to those who want nothing to do with us. It is free. It's uninfluenced. It is really grace in action. And the only perfect demonstration of agape, of course, is on the cross, isn't it? We read about it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 to 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then he goes on to say, Beloved, if God so agaped us, loved us, we also ought to agape, love one another. The Bible is saying God loved us whilst we still hated him, whilst we were still in love with our sin. God reached down to us in the person of Jesus. Christ laid down his life for sinners. And he did this so that we would be forgiven of our sins and share in the loving life of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now the Apostle Paul, if you go back to chapter 3 there, of Colossians 3, has already reminded the Colossians just about this in verse 12. He has said to them, isn't it, that they are now God's chosen ones. They are holy. They are beloved. They have been agaped by God. That's verse 12. So when he gets to verse 14 now, he says to them, because you have this agape of God, because agape is already at work in you, continue growing in agape. Continue growing in loving those among you who look unlovable. Keep your Holy Spirit-fueled effort to love those who are difficult. Keep it going, right? Continue growing in affection for those followers of Christ who say nasty things about you, who don't want anything to do with you. Some Christians are like that. He says, keep loving them. Keep loving those who offend you in different ways. Keep growing in longing and praying for them. Keep desiring by God's grace to do them good. Do not slow down on your love, on your kindness to them, on your gentleness, on your patience. Turbocharge it. Keep it going. Keep on loving, Paul is saying. Now, that's verse 14, right? When we look at the context now, it's obvious that's what Paul is saying. Look at verse 11 there. What has he said in verse 11? Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. And you know, the point Paul is making in all of this is that, yes, it's love for one another, but it's love especially for those who are different from you. You should grow in widening the net of love. It's very easy for me to love somebody I get on very well who's a believer who come from the same background, perhaps, who was brought up in the village. I haven't met one yet, but was brought up in the village in Chelenge, as I was, right, in Zambia. It's easy for me to do that. We can share stories about fish and living by the Lake Mweru and all that. But it's harder for me to, I don't know, love someone who easier to get on with, uh, or somebody who lived in all their life at the Kintia Peninsula or something like that, right? Because culture can be a problem. But Paul is saying, when you're one in Christ, the love of Christ breaks down all these barriers, you see, because you're now one body in Christ. So grow now to go beyond the riches of what you are comfortable with. Love one another without being restricted by ethnic background, social status, or anything like that. But you are one family. because Just love each other because you are one family in Christ. And if there are differences in relationship, let this love of Christ overcome that. That's what Paul is saying. Keep growing in love by loving those who are different from you. So here are a few questions for you to think about. Who in this church is God calling you to grow to love 
that is completely outside your comfort zone. Because if you're going to obey this verse today, you've got to ask yourself that as an application. Who, in the life of the church, Grace Baptist Church begs for you, is God calling me to love that is completely out of my comfort zone? Who among us here is the Lord Jesus calling you to grow to love in a deeply sacrificial way? Who can do with the showing of sacrifice towards them? Which followers of Christ in your life in general is God calling you to, 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 to love in a deeply unconditional way. With no strings attached. I'm thinking about unbelievers now. Because yes, this is applying to believers, but the application goes beyond that, isn't it? God wants us to love everyone, doesn't he? So the question is, which people in your life, not just believers... Is God calling you today to grow in loving them like Christ would love them? Those people who perhaps drive you mad at work. Or your neighbors. Today examine yourself. If you're a Christian, ask the Lord Jesus to help you grow in loving others. Especially those difficult followers of Christ. Stop giving excuses. Stop saying, I can't love them back. I can't do this because it's hard. Of course it's hard. But you have a divine advantage. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. When our brothers and sisters got married over there last year, the point we kept making is that Christian marriage, of course, must thrive. How can it not thrive? Because it's got a divine advantage. The Holy Spirit is involved in your marriage. It's the same thing not just for couples, it's for, for all of us in Christ. How can we not love if Christ lives in us? Unless you are like William Colgate before he got converted. But if you are like William Colgate after conversion, well, change must happen. You must grow to love others. Christ will help you to grow and love others because he has already given you a new heart. So cry out to him to push the boundaries of your life. That's the first truth. All followers of Christ might grow and love each other. And I just want to, before I move on to the second point, I just want to emphasize this because it's so important. You know, as I was preaching on love, I thought, Lord, this is true. I said to the Lord, Lord, not again. Not on love again. I mean, these guys have heard, how many sermons have they heard about love? I, I, all of a sudden, I found myself not excited to preach on this topic because I thought, well, you know it already. Immediately before I start talking, you switch off, right? Fall asleep, do the list, thinking about fellowship lunch is going to go, that kind of thing, right? And I thought, of all subjects. But then as I've been thinking about it just this morning, as I was praying through this, I realized, is there a place we sin so much and delude ourselves than this? Beloved, this is a conversion issue. I'm sorry you don't want to hear that. But everything we've been talking about so far are conversion issues. Are you born again or not? That's the question. Don't look at a prayer you said many years ago. Don't look to spiritual experience you had. Don't look to visions and revelations that perhaps you've experienced in, 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 in somewhere. I don't know. Look to the cross. Look to this message. Have I been truly converted? What is the proof? Do I love? others. It's that simple. 
We make the gospel so difficult. But it's not difficult, it's simple. Is there these fruits we're talking about? If you're not, beloved, repent of your sin. Be born again. Now. It took William Crockett a few years. He had been to church. And, uh, but then he recognized that, no, there was this big issue. It wasn't a small sanctification issue. This was a major issue. He, he needed radical change to be truly converted. Beloved, don't miss heaven. I'm not saying Christians cannot struggle with this area. Of course we can. But if you know these issues we're talking about, they're so structural. They're so deep. They say, you're devoid of true forgiveness. You're devoid of true patience. You're devoid of deep gentleness. You're devoid of genuine forgiveness. Beloved, and we'll talk about peace next week. If these are devoid in your life, then be born again. Don't look to your membership. Don't look to your membership. Don't look to your baptism. There will be many people in hell who are members of churches and were baptized in churches. Look to the change God is making. When you hear the word, do you respond to it? Does it change you? Does it transform you? Are you longing to grow in this area? Are you broken for your sin? If there is that, then keep on growing, keep on coming. Keep on looking to him, not come to me. Keep on going to him. Keep on looking to the cross. Second truth, let's move on. First truth, all followers of Christ must grow in love for each other. Secondly, growing in love for each other grows our unity in Christ. Our unity in Christ. And I'll be quick on this point. Unity is what Paul is aiming at. And unity with people is so important in life, isn't it? It is important to be united. All of us desire unity with each other. We may disagree about how we can be united, but we all want unity, right? And why do we long for unity? Well, we long for unity because God created us in what? In community, right? That's the play on words there. We long for unity because God created us for community, right? Community with God and community with each other. But, but the Bible tells us that sin ruined our unity with God and unity with each other. You remember the Garden of Eden? Man turned against God and they started turning against each other. It didn't take long before Cain killed Abel and you got Lamech there killing a young man and boasting about it, right? That's what happens with sin. Sin brings disunity, right? All of us now struggle with unity to love one another because we lack unity. And no matter how much we try to get along, it does not take very long for sin to get in. <laughs> Even in the life of the church. You could long that the church is so united everybody's getting along, but sin comes in. Sin is always there because we are sinners. But the good news of the Bible is that Christ came to restore our unity with God and unity with each other. Right? So when I'm obviously doing... Um, marriage counseling with people are getting married. I usually pose it to them the triangle, don't I? So I said, think of, think of your relationship as a triangle, right? God is on the top, right? And you are at the bottom, you are here, right? The idea is to get closer to God, right? And so if you've got an equilateral triangle, if you're on the two sides, if you're trying to get to the top, the closer you are getting to God, the closer you're getting to each other. But sin makes the Rips apart that triangle, drives us apart, right? Well, 
Christ has come to bring us closer to God, to give us life with God. True unity is found only in Jesus. The world cannot give us unity. Only Christ can. Because Christ changes our hearts and he begins to transform us to become like him. And as we become like him, we become united. Right? Now, of course, not all division is evil. Right? It is after all God who separated light from darkness. There is such a thing as righteous division. I'm not saying be united at all costs. We have to divide. We, sometimes we have a moral obligation. We, in fact, we have a moral obligation to separate ourselves from all those who oppose the word of God. Without a doubt. Our only rule of life must be the scripture. And everyone who opposes, we can only unite on the word of God. We have that moral obligation. I don't mean oppose people in our own lives. I mean, you know, scripture. In the life of the church, we must stand on the word of God, isn't it? So there is righteous division. But sadly, there are also many situations where divisions among followers of Jesus is ungodly, right? Because there are situations where it's driven by sin and rebellion. For example, people in church divide over things like wearing hats, right? Uh, music styles, that's a big division, even in churches. Bible versions. And yes, even war paint has divided people. We should have this color. No, we should have that color. And the church all of a sudden divide over, right? Who sits where? People can divide over those things. That is godless division. Godless before God. And of course, believers don't just divide over things. They often divide in groups in churches according to age, ethnicity, social classes. Again, that is godless. That is evil division. And of course, the division in churches are sometimes deeply personal. Often they are deeply personal. Relationship can become fractured. Someone has said something and you now avoid them completely. Again, godless Division. It happens. Sometimes our divisions are passive rather than active. People are united on paper. No one is fighting. That's usually the case in churches. But also no one is truly caring for one another either. They just see each other. That's it. They live individual lives. Again, that's godless. Passive division. So there, are, there is division that's necessary. But many of the divisions are just ungodly divisions. Now, when we're living like that, we are rebelling against God's desire for us to live in practical unity. And I emphasize the word practical unity because if you're a born-again Christian, you're already united to another born-again Christian. You have that spiritual unity with them because you are in union with Christ, both of you. So every Christian is spiritually united to another Christian by default because the Spirit of God who lives in us lives in them. We have union with Christ together. But God's desire is that that spiritual union should be reflected in practice. Now, it's not going to be reflected in practice immediately on earth. That, that practical unity is only going to come when Jesus descends in glory, right? When sin is done away with. But in the meantime, God wants us to keep growing in practical unity. How do we do that? Well, the answer is in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Paul says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
I just want to say the ESV's rendering here of this verse is not the best. <laughs> Sadly, I love the ESV, but in this case, it's not the best rendering. I think a better rendering actually is a new Legacy Standard Bible released by John MacArthur and Grace Community Church. Its rendering of verse 14 is wonderful, and I encourage you to download the app and get yourself a Bible version of that. It's a great Bible version. Uh, and it renders it like this it says, Above all these, put on love, so that's similar. Right? But the second part says, which is the perfect bond of unity. That's pretty much spot on with the original Greek. Which is the perfect bond of unity. Because what Paul is saying here is that you must grow in love because love is a uniting bond of perfection. Love is a fuel that grows us into a perfect practical unity in Christ. How does growing in love grow our unity together in Christ. Well, as you keep growing in love, right, what will happen is that you'll keep growing in verse 12 and verse 13. Right? As you grow in love, it will fuel your compassion and kindness. The reason you and I struggle to be kind to others is because our love for them is cold. Love is kind. 1 Corinthians 13. It places itself in another's person's shoes, and then it moves the heart to do something about it. It moves to show loving kindness. Growing in love fuels your humility, your humbleness, doesn't it, towards people around you. You struggle to humble yourself because you do not have a heart of service, loving service towards them. Other people are too... Why are you struggling to serve in so many ways? Whether it's in the church, in your life at home. Why, why is, why, when mommy tells you to do something, what's going on there? Why are you struggling to do it? Because you are proud. But why are you proud? Because you do not love the person who's asking you to do something. The other person is too small in your eyes to stoop to serve them. But when God fills you with love for others, you begin to see other people as made in the image of God. You see, love moves us to serve in humbleness. Love, of course, grows our meekness, doesn't it? We are now willing to respond to those who hurt us without retaliation. Out of love for them. When we love the person causing us injury somewhere out of love and submission to God, we do not seek to punish them. Rather, we wish to do them good for their sake. And we could say the same thing about forgiveness. Growing in love, of course, also grows our capacity to, to be patient with one another. Why are you always rushing people and forcing people to do things on your terms? Oh, getting annoyed and everything and all that. Why are you always like that? Because you love you more than you love them. You want your comfort. I want my comfort. You are selfish. I'm selfish. But as we grow in love towards others in Agape, we grow in waiting for them, being patient with them. Now, what happens when everyone in the church is growing in this thing? Imagine a church where everyone is growing in verse 12 and verse 13. How would that look like? Well, everyone would be looking more and more like Jesus. And because Jesus is what? He's kind, he's humble, he's meek, and he's patient. Jesus is forgiving. And so when we grow to be like that, becoming more and more like Jesus, and as each of us become more and more like Jesus, remember the triangle, right? We are both moving from those 
bottom points of the equilateral triangle, we are now becoming more like Jesus on the top, we become united. And so I tell husbands and wife in the home, I said, the best thing you can do for your marriage is point the other person to Jesus. Remind them to read their word. Remind them to properly belong to the life of the church. Remind them to be prayerful. Remind them to confess their sins all the time. Remind them to keep looking to Jesus. That's the best thing you can do for your wife. Don't tolerate his sin or our sin. Point them to Jesus. Keep pointing them to Jesus. Because the more you become Christ-like, the more united your marriage becomes. And the same thing with children. The more they become like Christ, the more happy the family is. The same thing in the church. If we become Christ-like, we grow in love, we become more united. If we are growing in love, but if we are not growing in love, we are, what are we doing? We are growing in hate. You, your life in Christ is never static, beloved. You are never just like this. You are either going forward or you are going backwards. And if you are not moving towards love, you are moving towards hatred in the opposite direction. And what happens is that if you are moving in the opposite direction, your life is a threat to unity in the family. Your life is a threat to unity at home. And in this context of scripture, your life now, your heart, which is not growing in love, becomes a threat to unity in the church. The devil has been defeated. Sin, death, and hell has been defeated. The, the, the church doesn't fundamentally face a problem from Satan as such. It's been defeated. The biggest problem we face is our own heart. I'm not saying we shouldn't worry about the devil. I'm just saying he's defeated. The church's biggest problem is the enemy within the church, which is the heart. You are the greatest threat to the unity of this church. I am the greatest threat to the unity of this church. Why do I say that? Because if my heart is not growing in love, it's growing in hatred. It's growing in disunity. And so we have a moral responsibility to repent of our sin, to humble ourselves, and to ask God to grow us in true unity. So those are three things, just to say, as I come to an end, three things you need to do. First of all, repent this morning as you hear this message of your lack of love for other followers of Christ. You know you don't love others as you should. So repent. Come before God. Tell the Lord, I repent that I'm not gentle. I repent I am not patient. I repent that I'm not humble. I repent that I'm not always moving towards to forgive. I repent that I'm the biggest threat to unity in my family, unity in the church, unity at work, unity in this world, because my heart is called, Lord, towards others. Don't look at the other person, beloved. Look at your own heart. You know, what the Lord has been teaching me this week is, Chola, don't be so interested in other people's sins. You've got enough. You've got enough. You've got enough of your sins to worry about. Deal with your sins, the Lord has been telling me this week. Deal with your sins. Whenever I had a thought about somebody else, I'm like, oh, what's going on? Deal with your sin. You've got enough in your heart to deal with. If you are a elder, you understand what I'm talking about. We deal with people's sins all the time, don't we, brother? We deal with people's sins all the time. And there's that temptation of always thinking about other people's sins. So, repentance. Secondly, pray to God to grow you in love for other people. We need the Holy Spirit to grow us in love for other people. 
You cannot grow in meekness, gentleness, any of these things without God humbling you. God moving you to die to self. Only God can do that. And you need Him to do that for you. Ask God's help. Prayer must be key. Finally, keep meditating on the Lord Jesus Christ. We only know love because love walked among us. Love was dressed in our human flesh. There's no other love apart from the love that is found in Jesus. All other loves are just shadows, ripoffs of the real true love, the love of the Nazarene, the Lord Jesus Christ. So grow to love Christ. Give yourself to reading the word of God. Give yourself to studying the gospel. Study the loving heart of Christ. And you grow to love others. So, as I come to an end, just remind you there are two things we've learned today about love. All followers of Christ must grow in, in love for each other, isn't it? Secondly, growing in love for each other grows our unity in Christ. That's why it's so important. Christ prayed, I pray that they may be one. Where the way God is at work to answer the prayer of Jesus is by growing a church that truly loves one another.